And rabbit holes, we think of them as a bad idea. You go down a YouTube rabbit hole, but I always tell people, think of it as Alice in Wonderland. You end up this whole new world of opportunities because I've walked so many clients through this process now. You can go through this and you can find career options that you never realized existed. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Jet, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Max. How's your summer been? It's been busy so far. I've been in the Bahamas. I'm now back in Toronto for a bit. So it's been good. I'm enjoying the warm weather. (laughs) How about you? Likewise. And speaking of warm weather, it's starting to get colder now because as of this recording, this is the second day of September. So everybody's gearing up for the fall, back to school, or looking for a new job. They call this long weekend the last weekend of the summer, right? Unofficially. So everybody's trying to get ready for the fall. And I wanted to bring you on because you have an interesting story that I think my audience would really find interesting is that you had to find a job in 90 days in Canada or you would have to leave the country. But before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background in terms of how you got to that point? My name is Jet Stubbs. Right now, I'm a career and business coach. But when I first came to Canada, my family stayed with me for three days and then they left. I was an international student. I went to Western University. If you don't know where that is, that's in London, Ontario. So just two hours outside of Toronto. And I went there for four years. You know, I felt like I did what I was supposed to do. I did hard work. I volunteered. I did internships. I thought I was preparing myself for a career after I graduated. And then at 21, I graduated. That was in the middle of like the 2011 recession. The business that my parents had created to fund my education had went belly up essentially, and it didn't survive. So I had 90 days to figure out how I was going to make money if I wanted to stay in Canada. And if I didn't figure it out in the 90 days, I would lose my immigration status. I wouldn't have been able to pay off my tuition. And it was a bit of a cycle I was stuck in. I had to pay off my tuition so that I could get a letter from the university. I needed that letter from that university so that I could get a work permit to get a job, but I needed to get the job to pay off the tuition. (laughs) So I had 90 days where I had a grace period for my work permit where I could work, but I needed to find a job and get into it in that timeframe. And I sent out over a hundred applications and I got zero responses. So I was devastated. So in that story, you ended up changing your strategy and then you got 70% response rate on only 10 job applications. So what was the strategic change or change in direction to help you increase your response rate on the applications and apply to a lot less? After I sent out the initial 100 applications, I thought that I would have received at least one response. So when I didn't, I started going to every free resource I could. I didn't have a lot of money. I had $159 in my bank account. I couldn't afford to pay for a career coach or buy a bunch of different resources or books. I borrowed books from the library. I went to free newcomer workshops. I went to free university career training workshops. I went to free workshops that were just offered by the city. I took advice from people. I tried to do informational interviews. I went and I handed out my resume to a bunch of different resources. And then what I found is I think what a lot of people still find today, even though this was 10 years ago, I found a lot of conflicting advice. 
I found that the internet had a lot of different advice on what a resume should look like. Should it have a bunch of graphics and pretty images? Should it have colors? I even heard people say you should spray it with perfume. It was all of this different advice that I was finding. And I realized that I needed to look for the common threads, things that everybody was saying was true. And I needed to look at people who were giving advice who were more likely to be earning more money because they were clearly more successful at it. And one of the things that I stumbled on in that process was that you shouldn't apply for a million jobs. You shouldn't apply for a hundred jobs. You should narrow it down and create tailored applications to a few jobs that you really want. And then the second thing that I saw was a trend was I needed to learn how to sell my skills. Because one thing I really learned was you can have all the skills in the world to do a job, but it takes a different set of skills to get the job. And I needed to get the job and to access that opportunity so I can create the growth that I really want. So I narrowed it down to 10 jobs that I wanted. But even to narrow it down, I needed to narrow down the type of career I wanted. One of the first things I did after I didn't get a response to 100 job applications was I said, okay, if I'm going to stay in this country, I'm from the Bahamas, it's a lot warmer than Canada is. So (laughs) if I was going to stay in the country, I really wanted to work in a job that would allow me to travel, allow me to see my family. I said, I want to be able to travel for a minimum of three weeks out of the year, ideally more. I didn't want just any job. I wanted a happy career where I would enjoy a life in Canada and not be struggling to live paycheck to paycheck. Cause I realized I was terrified of this idea of ending up in a dead end job and struggling to survive in a new country where I didn't have any family. And once I narrowed it down, I said, okay, these are the factors that I want for the life I want to live. I want to travel. I want to be able to continue my education. I want a company that's going to support continued professional development and be willing to pay for that. I want to be able to actually work more of a nine to five so I can enjoy my evenings and celebrate and go out. So how can I create this balance for myself? And so I wrote down three different things. First, it was what I wanted out of life, which I now call like your desires. The second thing was the skills that I had. So I grouped those into three different areas, interests, pros, and cons. So interests were things that I haven't done yet, but I'm interested in exploring. And I wanted to see how much money they could make Pros were things that I'd done in the past, and I didn't just limit it to what I had done through work in the past. I looked at my studies. I looked at the courses that I had done. I looked at subjects, niche subjects that I had studied within those courses. What did I like? What did I dislike? So that the pros list are the things that you like. The cons are the things that you disliked. And I tried to find a career that would combine my interests and the pros, the things that I liked. And I put that into Google. And this took me down a rabbit hole and rabbit holes. Usually we think of them as a bad idea. You go down a YouTube rabbit hole, but I always tell people think of it as Alice in Wonderland. You end up in this whole new world of opportunities because I've walked so many clients through this process. Now you can go through this and you can find career options that you never realized existed. So once I did that, I discovered new career options, but then I had to figure out which one would pay me enough money and give me enough flexibility. So then I did labor market research. I evaluated which job titles are associated with different salaries. So right now I'm a career coach. As a career coach, I've been offered anything from $36,000 per year to $300,000 per year as a career coach. Same job title, wildly different salaries, wildly different lifestyles that you can live. So knowing which industries pay more, 
which job titles pay more. Sometimes you can make more if you make a slight change to your job title or the position that you're looking for. And I did that research and I narrowed down to 10 jobs that I wanted. And this was my last ditch effort. Once I figured out the skills that I had, how I wanted to live, which is desire, the third piece was demand. And that's where I did that labor market research. And I had to figure out what would make the most money. I found these three jobs that was in the sweet spot of these three things. So if you think of those three things as a Venn diagram, this is your sweet spot. That's your happy career, something that's going to allow you to design the life that you want for yourself. And I applied to these 10 jobs using a process to sell myself. So instead of just making a resume as a list of tasks that I'd done in the past, I shifted my mindset and I said that my resume is a history of me meeting people's needs and helping to solve problems. And every sentence in that resume should show this person how I can help to solve their specific problem and the results that I've delivered in the past. And I used which you may have taught your clients before, like the car and the star framework where you go, this is the challenge, the situation, the unique task that you solve because you can't promise to solve every single problem for somebody. You can only solve parts of a problem for people. So you want to say, okay, this is the situation. This is the problem that you're experiencing or your unique challenge. This is how I'll come in and help you to solve a piece of this problem. These are the actions that I will take using the skills, qualifications, and experience that I have. And this is the results that I've delivered in the past. So I created 10 tailored resumes and it took me days. And then I went and I got seven interviews from those job applications. And then people just started asking me for advice. And I replicated the process so that people were able to get anywhere from 20% to 80% response rate. So no longer sending out 100 job applications and getting no responses. You can now send out five to 10 applications, 30 or less applications, and be in interviews talking to employers who are excited to talk to you. So did you get the job on the 90th day or was it really close? Oh yeah, it was close. The university was nice. I explained my situation to them. And instead of putting like the day that I finished my studies, they put in the date of my convocation as my last day, which gave me like an extra 20 days. And I landed the job with about 15 days to spare. So it was really close (laughs) because it takes a while before you actually get the job, right? I got the interview and I saw those interviews lining up. But then the issue was I needed the actual job offer in hand so that I could negotiate with the university to release the letter that I needed. I actually had a client, I think she was from mainland China, and she interviewed for this company. They gave her the job offer, but she needed a letter in order to say that she has a work permit, right? And this class that she had was taking forever to get the grade for her. So she had to basically delay her start date with that company in order to get that grade. So I do have a inkling of like what you went through in terms of like getting the leather to get your work permit? It's a lot of work. It can feel very stressful. So I didn't know if it was going to work, but I put my best effort in. And then since then, I've helped people replicate that process. And then along the way, I realized it's the same process to find what you love to do, like narrow it down and to sell yourself, whether you want a job or freelance service or business. And so I started giving people business coaching advice. And that's how they started making money and replacing their income. And that's how I became a career coach and a business coach. So what was the role that you landed? It was actually in career development. So I realized that at 21, I didn't have 
all of this knowledge about how to sell myself. And as I was talking to my peers, they didn't have this information either. At that point in time, they thought that the most that they could make after graduating, some of them thought was like $25,000. Like this is the most I can make as a fresh grad. And my first job, this was 11, 12 years ago, was 55,000. So it was a lot more than they anticipated. So I worked at the University of Toronto and I worked in experiential education, which is bridging the gap between academic theory and career development. And I actually used my story of me learning how to sell myself into the job that I was getting and telling them, you know, I had applied to 100 jobs. I wish that university professors had designed courses that taught me how to sell myself and all the knowledge that they were giving me. And I went and my first job was teaching professors how to incorporate that into their courses. That's awesome. And going back to what you said about the free information, it's free from a cost perspective, but it could be expensive from a time perspective because you don't actually know what advice is actually good. So for someone who is job searching and is unfortunately on a tight budget with so much free information out there, what are some guidelines that you can recommend in regards to seeking out the right people to follow from a content perspective so they get the right advice to help them get their next job? The first thing I would say is focus on people who are teaching you big picture information. So you shouldn't focus on somebody who's telling you your resume should be this specific font or this specific, and they're focusing on all those niche details because it really isn't about the format of your resume. It's about the content of your message and how much you are offering to help people. So you need to focus on finding people who have testimonials, who have a track record of experience helping people land jobs. And ideally, if you could find people who've done that across industries, that is one piece. The second piece is to network. So, so many people get afraid of reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn. But if you are on a tight budget and you're trying to figure things out, I've had people who have recommend, hey, you're interviewing for this job or you would like this job opportunity, reach out to a few people on LinkedIn who work at this company. Don't reach out to the CEO. That's a common mistake people will make. They'll try and reach out to the biggest like honcho in the company. And that's not what you should be doing. You should be reaching out to the most junior people within that company because they don't regularly receive those messages. And they're really going to appreciate the fact that you reached out and they know the more senior people. So I've had people do this and reach out and have a informational interview and just a coffee chat. And then this person says, Hey, I really like you. I'm going to put a good word in for you for this job because I know the hiring manager and I'm going to tell them that I spoke with you. So those are the two things that I'd recommend. The third thing is if you don't have a budget and you're trying to just do it on your own, Google the car or star format for writing a resume. You want to focus on selling yourself. And as I said, shift from thinking of your resume as a history of the tasks that you've done before. And instead, think of it as a history of meeting people's needs. It's your history of helping other people achieve their goals that are as closely related to this job as possible so that you can show them how you can help. Whenever you apply for or receive a minimum wage job, it's probably because your resume is a history of tasks that you've done before. And that basically tells the employer, hey, I'm looking for money. I don't know what I want to do. So this is what I've done before. Tell me how I can help you. And the employer is going to say, well, you're not really giving me a strong pitch, but I do need people. So here's the most menial task or here's the most repetitive task with the most manuals or the most step-by-step instructions. Start here and then we can see if you can do more. 
versus when you apply for a job and you are applying for a six-figure opportunity, what you're going to be saying is, these are the specific problems that I can help you solve. This is how much value this will add to your organization, and this is how I can help you. And that is when you'll start to make more money because you're saying, these are valuable problems that you have that I can help you solve. And I want X, Y, Z in return. I want this level of flexibility. I want these benefits so that I can live the life that I want. And it becomes an exchange and a transaction. And one of the most compelling stats that I found is that 92% of Americans, and this applies to Canadians too, I find, are afraid of interviews. There's something about interviewing that scares them. And there is a correlation. There's a strong correlation between fear of interviews and lower income. So people who make over six figures are 50% less likely to say they fear interviews because they're not afraid of selling themselves and talking about how they can solve a problem. Yeah, the thing about interviews, it's pretty much a sales pitch, right? So think of yourself as a salesperson, but instead of selling a product or service, you're selling your brand and why you could help this company with their problems. Absolutely. That's exactly how it works, Max. And going back to what you said about a common thing that professionals make in terms of the mistake on their resume is making a very duty and responsibility focused and not problem solving focused. So how do you recommend people like dive deeper into their experience in order to get those solutions out onto the resume? So it makes them be the high value candidate that they are. All right. So the first thing they need to recognize is that every job, freelance service or business is based on solving a problem. So anytime somebody is handing you money, you are either taking them away from a problem or towards a better life, a better situation for their company. So you need to think about this job description is basically somebody saying, I have a problem. These are the skills, qualifications and experience I think somebody would need to solve this problem. Can you help me? please present your proposal as to how you can help me solve this problem. Your resume is then a proposal to talk about how you can solve the problem. So then what you need to do is come up with a list of all of the times that you solve similar problems and write it out on a piece of paper and then break that down into that car or star formula. So what was the problem, the challenge, what's the action you took and what was the result? And every time you think about that problem, you need to ask yourself, why did this matter? So I remember when I first started One of my first internships when I was in university is I was working at an offshore bank in the Bahamas and I was just scanning documents all day. And I was like, this is the most boring job. I would put in headphones and I would just come in and sit there and scan documents all day. And I'm like, what skill can I say that I learned from scanning documents? What was the point of this job? (laughs) And One of the things that I realized is I had to keep on asking myself why they chose to pay me a salary to sit there and scan documents for a summer. So why did this matter? And the first thing I said was, okay, they were trying to digitize their documents. Okay. Then I said, why do they need it digitized? A bank is, especially when you're dealing with offshore banking, they have to meet compliance. So they're not evaluated for money laundering or they're not thought to be money laundering. So what I was actually doing was digitizing their system. So they had up to date, know your client information so that they would avoid, or they would be in compliance with anti-money laundering compliance laws, and they would avoid being blacklisted. So if they didn't, I just kept on asking myself why, once I said, okay, the purpose of this is to digitize documents 
for anti-money laundering compliance. Well, what happens if they're not in compliance? Then they're blacklisted. The bank is blacklisted and a bunch of other countries are saying, don't do business with this bank, which is going to harm the bank's business. So instead of saying I scan documents, I said I digitize the know your client compliance documents so that I can support the bank in being whitelisted and being able to be avoid being blacklisted. Clearly, I worded it better than that. But that is the story that I told because so often when you're doing menial work, when you're doing work that you think of as like, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? You don't look at the big picture. I've worked with so many people who have previous experiences being a cashier. They were cashier at Superstore or Walmart. And then they're like, well, this isn't really relevant. And I'm like, as a cashier, you are the face of the company to the client. Who else does a client speak to besides the cashier when they go into a store? Like if you do self-serve, you won't even speak to a cashier sometimes. You won't even speak to anybody. The most likely person you are to speak to is either somebody stocking the shelves or a cashier. So you are the representative, the face of the store to that client. You help to craft that experience. There's a reason why Starbucks provides so much training to their baristas because those baristas craft the experience. And then What you also are doing is you are monitoring inventory. You are helping to reduce theft by making sure people aren't stealing things. There are critical roles that you play and you're processing the money that comes into that company. So people think of this as, oh, it's a meaningless job. But the truth is it's so meaningful, the impact that you are having. And you just need to learn how to talk about it. And it's not about lying or exaggerating. It's thinking about why is that business owner? Why is this company hiring you? What is the value that they expect you to bring to the table? You bring up a good point that I was going to ask next. Sometimes when it comes to like menial jobs, like a barista or flipping burgers, they don't want to over-exaggerate their bullet points. So for example, let's say the menial task is flipping burgers, and then they might change the bullet points saying, deliver 200 burgers in two hours to improve customer satisfaction by 20%. Obviously, I'm like going over the top. So like, what's the balance <laughs> between like highlighting how significant your impact is to the role without going over the top? Because recruiters can tell whether you're just exaggerating and making it very fluffy, right? So what's the balance for that? There's a few different ways that you can think about it. One is if you have a good relationship with your manager or your supervisor, you can ask them what role does your job play in pushing the company forward or maintaining its level of efficiency. And you can ask them that. And if you have a supportive relationship, they may give you more details and more information and you may shift how you see your own job. I wish everybody was taught this the moment they walked into a job, but that's not always the case. It is the case when you start to earn more money because then they really want you to know why you're there and why you're earning that money. But when you're doing these junior jobs, these entry-level jobs, you really need to think about Well, do you know that it's 20%? I think it would be much better to say crafted positive client experience and then put a quote from a client who really thanked you for that experience. That's a much more effective way. A lot of people think they have to quantify everything. There's so much in the intangibles. There's so much in how you make people feel that will make them want to come back and to continue working with you. Relationship building, businesses are relationship building and they spend so much money to make it seem like a person is the business instead of it being a large corporation. Businesses hire athletes and celebrities to put a face to their business to make it more human. And so when you can incorporate that human aspect and you can say, I received employee of the month. I had a client thank me for brightening their day. And these were the exact words that they said. 
three times a week, I would have a client come in and say something like this. There's so many other ways that you can talk about what you did that are authentic. If you have done things where you have caught theft, you have improved something with the inventory, you should write about these things. And the truth is you may think that you are embellishing initially. You may lack the confidence, but shifting how you talk about yourself to talk about it from a problem-solving mindset shifts you from saying, hey, employer, tell me what to do, to saying, hey, employer, I'm thinking about this like you are. I know you're bringing me here to solve a problem. Instead of thinking of me as somebody that you have to give all these specific instructions to, realize that I can sit here next to you and help you problem solve together. I always say when you're in an interview, think of it as there's this massive Lego in the middle of the table. And what you're doing is you're spinning that Lego around. Because if you just sit there with your arms behind your behind your back and you just look at that Lego, the employer is going to be looking at an entirely different side of that Lego, an entirely different image than you are. So you want to get up, sit next to the employer and start spinning that problem around and saying, these are the building blocks. These are the pieces of that Lego that I can bring to the table to help you get to where you want to go. Going back to what you said about quantifiable metrics, a lot of career coaches, resume writers say like, adding quantifiable metrics is very important, makes your resume stand out, right? Again, you don't need to have every single bullet point have a quantifiable metric. And it might be difficult for some professionals, for example, like an administrative assistant or receptionist that might not be directly tied to a certain KPI where percentages or dollars are involved. But as long as you tell a good, impactful story and your significance in that role in your company, that's all you really need to focus on, right? Absolutely. Once you tell that story, as you think about the car and the star framework that you can use for resume writing, it is about telling a story. I always talk about, imagine that your client is, or the company that you want to work with is a person and they could be dealing with different types of problems. They could be dealing with, as an individual, you could deal with mental health problems or mental well-being issues. And as a company, you could be dealing with cultural issues. As a company, you could be dealing with structural issues, like the infrastructure of your buildings, where are you working, the physical stuff. As a human, you could be dealing with the physical stuff. As a company, you could be dealing with your network. Do you have the right relationships in place, your social interactions? Do you have the right vendors and connections to be able to do what you need to do? As a human, you could be dealing with these issues. So when you are talking about it, talking about how you help, you really need to think, okay, I am helping to solve this problem. And there's a story that I need to tell, a very human story about a company that is struggling or that is trying to achieve a goal. And I am going to be the bridge that helps them overcome the fears, the obstacles, the questions that they have. And more importantly, one of the reasons that they're hiring you is the time and the effort that you need to put in so they can get to where they want to go. And then you paint this picture of this better life that they can live if you are helping them, if you are helping them get them one step closer by doing the things that they can't do. Because imagine if an employer, a business owner, tried to do every single job in the company, the company would fail very quickly. They need you. <laughs> exactly, right? Like everybody has a specific role at the company. Again, companies don't grow by just one, it's not a one person show. So everybody, no matter how menial a task may be, is essential to the operational uh, processes of the company, right? Absolutely. Yes, everybody. But you need to know the role that you're playing. If you want to sell yourself to earn more money, to have more flexibility, to be trusted so that you can have the work-life balance that you want, you need to know what that role is. 
And going back to the networking portion, right? You said like, obviously, if you're trying to get into meta, you don't DM Mark Zuckerberg. You obviously DM people that are around the same level as you. The other question I want to ask you is reaching out to recruiters at companies. I know recruiters uh, on LinkedIn and they get bombarded with tons of DMs about like, oh, can you review my resume? Can you send my resume to the hiring manager of a position? Do you recommend reaching out to recruiters on LinkedIn or do you think it's so competitive it's better to reach out to people that have some sort of hiring influence but not specifically the recruiter? I think a lot of people make a mistake where they think recruiters work for them. Recruiters don't work for you. They work for companies to get the best person in the job. So when you are reaching out to a recruiter, they're not just going to forward on your resume to the hiring manager, usually, unless you are a really good fit for that role. And you would need to explain why you were a good fit with a very quick pitch that would say, I can add value. I have these specific skill sets that will help to meet this company's needs. You could try that, but the much more successful route that I find people just have more success with is reaching out to more junior people within a team and asking them for some advice. What are some problems that the company is experiencing? And then making sure that their resume is keyword rich so that they're both networking and they are providing resume that will get through the cracks. Like it will get through the entire process and it will help them pass the applicant tracking systems so that they can get to the hiring manager and they can get in front of that team so that you're doing a like wraparound 360 process to getting the job that you really want. And it is worthwhile to follow this process when you are applying for these higher level jobs, when you want to get a $20,000, a salary increase over where you're at now. And I've seen people use this to get anywhere from 15% to 50% salary increases. And I've had people use this process for a few of them to get up to three times their income. They went from a $40,000 job to a $130,000 job. That's a huge difference. And all they did was sell themselves differently, narrow down the industries, and then do a follow a wraparound process where they were speaking to people within those companies. They had a better idea of how much money they could be earning. And then they were using a process to sell themselves within their resume using the right keywords so that they can get through the system, but they also had people within the company who were helping them and supporting them through that process because they had built the right relationships. And it doesn't have to feel sleazy or inorganic or I'm just reaching out to you because I want a job. What you really should be asking is, hey, I'd like to gain some insights. Do you like working at this company? Could you give me some insights into some upcoming projects? What are some things that you're struggling with? The best thing they can give you is not the job that is coming up, but the problems that the company is experiencing. Because if you can talk about those problems in detail in your cover letter and show how you can help to solve those problems in your resume, you're much more likely to get into that job. You touched on that point I wanted to get to, which I already brought up, is the sleaziness, right? A lot of people feel uncomfortable reaching out to people because these people know that you're just wanting to talk to them because you want a job there, right? Like they know that, like no one is stupid, right? Like when people reach out to me, I know exactly like, yes, I know you're talking to me because you want a job. So like, how do you kind of like break that barrier where, yes, I do want a job, but I am also interested in what you do at the company and learn more about like your role and how you help solve your company's problems. Exactly what you just said, Max. You have to start by asking people, what is the role that they play to to help the company? What are some of the problems that the company is experiencing? What are some upcoming projects? What are some upcoming goals? And then people, we naturally like to reciprocate. Somebody's not going to give you, like, typically, they're not going to give you 20 minutes of their time to answer all these questions and then not say, what about you? What are you interested in? 
when that comes, that's your chance to say, well, I want to help these particular type of companies who are struggling with this particular type of problem. So by offering these unique skills, qualifications, and experience to help them achieve this goal, I reached out to speak to you because I see that you are solving problems that I'm finding interesting. And I'm just trying to gather a bit of information and I'm looking to explore these kinds of opportunities. Then that person may say, oh, this job is coming up. I can let you know when I see it in the pipeline, or I know that my boss, Sarah, is going to tell me when they're posting this job, I can like share this with you via email before it gets out. And I'll let Sarah know to look out for your application, because I think you could be a good fit, at least for an interview or a conversation. That's how that will naturally or organically happen by you taking genuine interest in that person, that company, those problems. And more importantly, it gives you insight into, is this actually someplace you want to work? Because you can get a lot of information. I've had clients I've worked with go into these informational interviews and the people have told them, this company is toxic. I am trying to get out of here. Do not come here. And they're like, oh, you know, maybe that's just that person's experience. My experience is going to be different. I really want to work for this company. And then they get there and they're like, whoa, this is really toxic. I don't want to work here. I'm like, well, you had six people who work in different departments give you the exact same messaging. Maybe you should listen to that as you're evaluating, is this someplace you want to work? You should incorporate that into the interview questions that you're asking because an interview should be a mutual interview where they're evaluating whether you're a good fit to solve their problem and you are evaluating whether or not you want to solve their problem and this is someplace you want to work. That's a good point. Like Another strategy is to network with people that recently left the company to ask them why they left, right? Because sometimes like if you network with people at the current company, they might be a bit political and won't give you all the uh, dirty laundry, so to speak, because they still work there, right? Compared to someone that already left, they might be more truthful in their answers if you ask more specific questions about the company culture. Absolutely. That's a really good strategy. And I think people get more political the more they climb up the ladder. So when you're asking more junior people, You'll get a different experience, but they can give you a bit more insight because they really are the ears of the company. A lot of people will say things because somebody's junior in the room and not really think about it. But that is another great strategy to talk to somebody who's leaving or the person who is leaving your current role. Yeah, that's also a good point that you mentioned in terms of like, if you go to like an interview, ask them like, is this role a new role or am I replacing someone? Again, like you have the word in a way where they won't take offense, but that could be a good indicator of whether it's a high turnover company or not. Yes. And you can find a lot of that information on LinkedIn. If people are keeping their job status up to date, you can go on LinkedIn and find the person who is in the role or maybe the person who is in the role previously. Maybe they left a year or two ago. Reach out to them and ask them why they left. That's often a good strategy to just gain some insight into the job. They may still have a good relationship with their hiring manager. That's a strategy that I've seen people use as well. So let's say you've networked with people. They still want you to apply online because they have to keep it on file, right? Let's talk about customizing each application. We all know professionals don't want to do it. They'd rather do like LinkedIn easy apply, just spam the easy apply button and hopefully get something to bite, right? You said you spent a lot of time tailoring each application for those 10 jobs. And then as a result, you got the 70% response rate. A lot of professionals don't want to take that time because they're worried that they're going to spend all this time. And the competition is huge for online applications. I think it's about like 250 applications for every job ad. So they don't want to spend all this time and realize that they get all the rejected. So what's your mindset when it comes to like spending so much time on these applications when there's a good chance that you might not get a response back because there's so many people applying for that job? 
When I applied for my first job, my hiring manager told me I was one out of 132 applicants. So I had no connections. They'd never heard of me. And I just applied online. And since then, I've applied online. I didn't have a network when I moved to Canada. I didn't have a large family network. I was new to Toronto. I wanted to move from London, Ontario to Toronto. So I didn't know anybody in Toronto. When I first started applying for jobs, my first few jobs, I had a very small network. And I just applied online. I've helped a lot of newcomers who have come to Canada, either as international students or they just came here on permanent with their permanent resident status. And they didn't have a network. And they were just applying online. So when you are worried about will people respond to you, when you're not tailoring an application, imagine if a doctor was trying to solve your health issues and they were like, hey, I think you've got some kind of shoulder, maybe chest, maybe heart, maybe stomach thing. It's in that general torso area. Take this pill. Or you have a doctor who says you have this specific heart condition. Take this specific medication. X amount of times a day because it will help to solve your problem. There's a huge difference in that messaging. You don't trust the person who sends the general message. But what I will say is once you start to narrow down the types of jobs you want to apply for, it takes far less time to tailor your resume. So once you go through that process to find your sweet spot and you found something, a career that's in high demand that you're excited about, you can go through and evaluate 10 to 20 job descriptions and look for the trends in what they are looking for and use that language to craft a very effective general resume for that type of job in that type of industry. That way, when you're tailoring your resume and your cover letter, you're spending much more time just writing a crafted cover letter, which again, I recommend people look at the top three to five requirements that they list in that job. And in your cover letter, write three to five bullet points that directly use the words from the requirements that they are saying. Don't make them guess whether you're qualified. If they say they need somebody with five years of experience in designing curriculum, say five years of experience in designing curriculum for universities, schools, and nonprofits in XYZ topics. Don't make them guess whether you're qualified. Literally make it like they're just drawing a line to match the qualifications with the summary, because that's another thing. A lot of people write the object of my resume is to get a job instead of saying this is a summary of my experience and qualifications that directly meets your needs. Here's a bullet point list that directly aligns with your job description. So what I would tailor, like once I start to really narrow down on the type of career I wanted. The only thing I really tailored was my summary section to match the job description and my cover letter because I had designed a tailored resume that was chock full of the keywords that I knew people were using in the industry because I had evaluated anywhere from 10 to 20 job descriptions. And that's how I was able to build out the career that I wanted. What other strategies do you recommend in terms of like tailoring the resume and cover letter to increase the response rate? Keeping the font simple, a lot of people will try and do all of these boxes and special formats. And then I'll give them a resume template that's just Arial 10 with lines, like with a basic line separating the sections. And I'll, I'll even have it in Google Docs so they can't go fancy with the formatting. And they're like, oh, I don't know. This is so simple. I think a resume should be so much more complicated or it should look like this. And I saw this fancy design. And I'm like, no, just keep the format simple. Keep a lot of white space so it's easily skimmable. You want somebody to be able to skim your resume in three to five seconds. So one of the things that I do is 
instead of writing professional experience, I'll write a tagline that summarizes that work experience and how it's relevant. So I would use a keyword rich tagline. So instead of saying, this is my professional experience, like for me, for example, for a while I was applying for roles in the career development space. I was focusing on supporting people with anywhere from mild to severe disabilities because I wanted to test out the techniques that I created on this audience. And so I said, 10 years of experience in career coaching and career development programming for people with disabilities. So instead of having that professional experience, I had a section that clearly demonstrated how I was qualified for the role. The other thing is sometimes people will stay in jobs for a long time. Like let's say you're in a job for five years and this job has evolved substantially. You're in a dynamic role. You're a generalist. You're not a specialist. So you have different areas that you work in instead of writing 20 bullet points without any spaces, with no spacing in between them, I'd have people group them into sections. So say one section is financial planning. The other section is your team leadership. So you just have a little like subtitle under each, and then you can write a few bullet points and then go to the next few bullet points. And these subtitles should be keywords that they're looking for within that job description. So you can change it. Some people may say team leadership. Another job description may say human resources. So then you're just tweaking those keywords to show how you're directly qualified for that job. So hypothetically, let's say you've done all the work, you've networked with the right people, you have a custom tailored resume and cover letter that you spent hours customizing, and now you're in the interview stage. What are some learning lessons that you want to share with my audience in regards to how to prepare for interviews effectively and common interview mistakes that you made when you first started interviewing and how you were able to correct them to uh, get the job you want? There are a few things that I do. Preparation is key for interviews. A lot of people don't research the companies, research the company, research the problems that they're experiencing. Come with notes. So many people I've worked with think they are not allowed to have notes. And like an interview is an exam where you're just supposed to have studied and be able to answer all the questions on the fly. And then when your mind goes blank, your heart flutters and you have a panic attack and you don't know what to do next. And then you feel like you just have spiraled out for the rest of the interview because you couldn't answer the one question in the first place. So come with notes. I go through and I dissect a job description And I look at, again, the top three to five things that they're looking for. And I prepare, the first thing I prepare is an answer to tell me about yourself. That is not a history of my entire life, but explaining how I have a history of solving this particular problem. And I start with an I help statement. So people say, tell me about yourself. Well, right now I help ambitious professionals who are trying to take their next step to design a career, whether that's a job, freelance service, or a business that fits their life and their situation. So I've helped over 1,200 professionals, so 1,200 professionals in over 40 different industries across the world. That is a statement to show the value that you add. So I help people who are struggling with this problem by offering these unique skills, qualifications, experience. So I offer a quiz, podcast, and coaching so that they can take their next step. You want to start with us, I help, and then show support that you can actually do it. So where have you done it in the past? I said, I've helped 
1,200 people in 40 different industries across the world. I've helped people in Canada, US, Mexico, parts of the EU, UK. I've helped people in different parts of the world to achieve their goals and take their next step. So you want to show social proof that you can get this done. Prepare for this, write bullet point notes, and then practice saying it out loud. So many people, like I just worked with a client last week. He was going into a massive interview with this company that... It was like a very niche company in the Caribbean. There are only four companies that do this. He really wants this job. It's a six-figure opportunity that can turn into a high six-figure opportunity within the first couple of years if he markets it correctly. And he was so nervous talking to me that he didn't want to practice saying his I help statement out loud. And I said, how could you be so nervous that you don't want to say it to me? How You're going to stumble in the interview. How is that going to work? So I said, you need to talk to me right now and say it out loud. And then he said, and he's like, oh, I really fumbled over that. Like, yes, because you need to say it out loud. So bring notes. And I have people break out their notes into three different areas. So what questions do you want to ask before the interview? So many people think you can't ask a question before an interview. They'll go through an entire interview and not actually know the job that they were supposed to be doing. They don't actually know what the job is, how it works. The company may have given them a summary. The interviewer may have given a summary of the job, but they still had questions. And so they go through this entire interview with the wrong assumptions about what they're trying to do or what the company's next steps are. So I always say, ask a few questions before the interview. If they ask you like, Hey, Max, can you tell me about yourself? You can say, Yes, I'd love to tell you about myself, but before we get started, can you give me a bit more insight into the job so I'm giving you the right information and I understand the problems that you are struggling with properly so that as we're going through this interview, I can help you understand how I can help you achieve your goals. Something That's- along those lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Again, I really appreciate the conversation that we had today, Jet. And I want to end this episode, this conversation with one last question for you. So as you know, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges to get to where they want to go. So what has been one big challenge for you, specifically as an immigrant who didn't have Canadian experience? Because one of the biggest obstacles that I've seen from immigrants that I spoke to is the lack of Canadian experience. So what was your challenge in that space? And how did you overcome it to grow to the career that you have right now? Telling myself, I had a ton of experience, a lot of immigrants, if you're getting into Canada, there's a vetting process, you're here because you have experience, there's a belief that you can succeed in this country. So if you are here, you have the potential, what you are missing is the skills to sell yourself to access the right opportunities. So you need to learn how to talk about yourself. And that's not just the words that you say. It's learning how much eye contact should you be making. A lot of people think they should, like culturally, they're taught to look down. They're taught not to look at authority. And that's different in Canada. Typically, it's a process where you make eye contact with people for like three to four seconds, and then you shift and then you make eye contact again. You need to learn these differences in language. Should you be sitting up straight? Should you be slouching? All these things seem like nuances. And really, the core is your message. But how you get this message across, how it's delivered, and the fact that you can network and talk to people are things that people need to learn. I'm actually giving a presentation in September with Arai, which is an RBC funded agency that's helping newcomers with their careers and with developing their careers. And I'm talking about my unique experiences with coming to Canada as a newcomer and having 90 days to find a job with no connections. 
That's great. And how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them with their career? You can find me at jetstubs.com. And the most helpful thing that I've created so far is I've designed a quiz that helps people figure out what step you should take next to grow faster professionally so you can stop feeling stuck. And it walks you through the seven stages of professional growth, which stage you're at now, and what you can do next, the top progress killers that you're experiencing based on your stage of growth, and what you can do next so that you can design a career to fit your life and increase your income. That's great. Again, I appreciate the time and enjoy the last weekend of the summer. You too, Max. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.